Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series Humans Don't Make Good Familiars. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 24 Jake POV Suma and I parted ways for a few days while she traveled, but I told her to summon me immediately if she needs anything. She's called me at least once a day, by our telepathic connection to fill me in on where she is and what's happening. On the first day, she stopped at a small village. On the second, she and her traveling companions camped on a mountainside. She said that it would probably be another two days before she arrived. Right now, I was out doing errands for Mum, who was feeling under the weather today and couldn't do them herself. She had given me a list of things to do, get groceries, put gas in her car, take food donations to a local homeless shelter and send off a package. I was about halfway done so far. Did you get the groceries? Mum asked. We were talking on the phone after I called to check on her. Not yet, but I dropped off the food at the shelter and put gas in the car already, I told her. How are you feeling? Tired. Could you stop and pick me up some Benadryl? Sure. Uh, anything else? I asked. No, that's all. Thank you. The pharmacy wasn't far, just around the corner. So I stopped there next. It was a small neighborhood pharmacy, so street parking was non-existent. I walked five blocks from a nearby car park before arriving. I got what I needed, then got some of her favorite sweets while I was at it, then started walking back to Mum's car. I wasn't really watching where I was going, but out of the corner of my eyes as I turned to a corner, I noticed someone familiar. It was one of the detectives who had put a warrant out for me last week. The female one, Detective Lynn. Upon deciding I didn't want to stop and catch up, I went out of my way to speed up at my pace and even crossed the street to avoid her. I glanced back after a minute and she was still there, matching my pace. She was wearing a hood and trying to blend into the crowd, but I had already noticed her. After a minute, she crossed the street too. I started to panic, trying to work out if she was going to arrest me again. I stopped, deciding that it would be better if she caught up with me. Maybe she just has a few questions, I reasoned in my head. And then she did something scary. She stopped, too. She even ducked behind a corner. Okay, she's following me, I thought. With that, I picked up my walking pace. Well, it was more of a sprint now. Cops don't follow you for good reasons. Why is she following me? And then I had a very scary thought. Does she know? I disappeared in that room. Is someone watching? Crap! I ducked into a back alley and hid behind two rubbish bins. I thanked my lucky stars that it had already been emptied. I thought about summoning Igus or Mori or even Destiny, but realized I didn't want to get caught with illegal weapons by a police officer with a grudge. Realistically, she probably isn't going to try and hurt me, or else she would have done it by now. Who knows how long she was following me, I thought. A moment later, I heard footsteps approaching, then a voice. Hang, did he see me? She said. My heart was thumping in my ears, and sweat was pouring down my back. Instinctively, I clenched my hand together, half expecting there to be a hilt in it. I wasn't holding my breath, but it felt like I was. For a second, I worried I might give myself away my breathing too hard. I heard a phone start to ring, and my body clenched in surprise. Hello, the detective said, answering the phone. I'm just around the corner. I'll be there in a few minutes. Okay, see you then. After that, I heard the footsteps walking away. I stayed crouched behind those rubbish bins for another ten minutes. Or at least that's how long it felt like, before checking to see if the coast was clear. 
Just in case she was waiting outside the alley, I decided to take the fire escape up the building, then went all the way to the top, and went around to the other side. I even had to summon what little man I could muster to boost my strength and jump high enough to reach the fire escape's ladder. Once I was sure that I was safe and safely back on the street, I called my mum and told her to go stay with a friend tonight. When she asked why, I told her what happened, and she told me to call Robert and file a complaint with the police department. After I hung up on her, I started walking back to my car and called Robert, my lawyer. Hello, this is Robert Watterson, he answered. Robert, uh, this is Jake Vandal. He sighed. What happened this time? A part of me cringed because I knew I was probably his most troublesome client. I, I caught one of those detectives following me around. What did they want? I don't know. But when I stopped to let her catch up with me, she ducked behind a corner. And when I crossed the street, she started walking faster. She followed me again. She even followed me into an alleyway. I hid there until I was sure she was gone. Okay, do you have any proof? I, uh, no. I don't, I shook my head. By now, I was about to arrive at my car. Without proof, we can't do much. The best we can do is file a complaint with the police for harassment. We may have a case for that, considering what happened with the warrant. Okay, how do we do that? Tomorrow at about noon, come to my office, and we'll drive there together and file the complaint. Okay, I'll be there, thanks. You're welcome, uh. But Jake, if this is going to stick, we'll need proof. With that, I got into my mum's car and hung up. I drove home, gave mum her medicine, apologized for not picking up the groceries or shipping the package, and then drove to her friend's house for the night. I slept at the friend's house too, on the couch. I didn't sleep well that night. I was too preoccupied thinking about what happened, what will happen, and what might happen. I think I only got about five hours sleep, so I was pretty tired. I even locked myself in the bathroom and asked Suma to summon me just so that I could get my energy back. The summoning process heals wounds and restores energy, so it helped me out a lot. Suma was in the forest somewhere, which was too bad, because I kind of wanted to see another Niyama town that wasn't an army camp or base. Noon rolled around and Mum, who was feeling better, dropped me off at home to get my own car. I drove to Robert's office. Jake, uh, glad that you're here. Ready to go? Robert asked when I walked into his office. Yep, I nodded. We got into Robert's car, a black sedan, and drove to the police station together. It took about ten minutes to get there, and while we drove, he explained what would most likely happen. They will question you. Filing complaints against a police officer is no small thing. So we'll be there for at least an hour or maybe two, I explained. Okay. And we probably won't get a chance to meet with the detective in question. You said it was Lynn, right? Yes. We're almost there. Are you ready? The police station was right in sight now. As I'll ever be, I told him. End of chapter. Chapter 25. Jake's point of view. Fire everywhere. The sky was filled with screams. What's happening? I wondered. But no words came out of my mouth. There were Niema, a lot of them. They were flying around so quickly, some were even smashing into one another. What's going on? I tried to ask one of them. One of them, who was laying on the ground, looked up at me. He looked scared. His feathers were puffed up, and his eyes were wide. The glittering shine that most Niema have was almost completely gone from him. Please, no, he begged. He was talking to me. Are you talking to me? I asked him. But once again, there were no words. But something did happen. His pale blue feathers turned black, and he fell flat on the ground, dead. What the? I tried to yell. 
and moved back, but my body wouldn't move, or rather, it was moving, but I wasn't in control. The screaming kept getting louder. Everything was growing more chaotic with each passing second. Without warning, my head turned and I saw several Niema, each decorated with fine jewels and gold lace. But it was different from what I'd seen on the nobles I knew. Their gold lace was more strings wrapped around their wings, like a spider's web. They darted around me, and there was a pain in my side. I didn't even see them do it, but they must have cast a spell. I wanted to see how bad the damage was, but I wasn't in control, so there was nothing I could do. Instead, my eyes tried keeping track of the Niema that were flying around me and attacking. You beasts, just die! One of them shouted, but they were moving too quickly for me to see who it was. Before I knew what was happening, I had spun around in time to see a wall of fire consume me. It hurt, worse than anything I've ever experienced before. But my body, or whoever was in control of it, didn't seem to care. The flames died down after a second, and I saw the Niema who cast the spell, perched on a nearby building, looking satisfied. I was still writhing in pain, but after a moment, it started to fade. Then the Niema's look of pride turned to terror. That's not... The Niyama started to say, but as his sparkling feathers turned black, he fell quiet and dropped off his perch, dead. Stop! Please stop! I begged. I wanted this nightmare to end. I didn't want to see this evil. If I had control of my body, I would have been in tears or throwing up. My body didn't listen to my begging, no matter how much I did it. It simply kept on its rampaging, never bothering to block attacks or even dodge them. It simply took them and endured the pain and then the pain went away. It killed and killed for what felt like hours, and I was forced to watch it all happen. It didn't stop but just Niema. It killed the animals, the plants, and even the insects on the ground. Only once the entire town and everything in it was gone did my body finally stop, and the world began to fade away. Why? Why was I? Why do this to me? I screamed, with the nightmare over. I felt like I was floating in an endless void. There was nothing to my left or my right, not up or down. There was just darkness. I wanted there to be something, anything. Normally, when this happened, he shows up. But not this time. This time, I was jerked awake, back in my mum's house, lying in bed. My eyes popped open, and I immediately rolled off to the side of the bed. I was throwing up and crying before I knew what was happening. My whole body drenched in sweat, and I couldn't stop shaking. What was that? I sobbed. End of chapter. Chapter 26. Suma's point of view. The sun was beating down on us all day. We had to keep stopping to rest in the shade because it was so hot. Even high in the sky, the temperature was unbearable. The breeze while flying helped, but not so much that we could bear it for longer than an hour at a time. If we don't pick up the pace, we won't arrive in the capital on time. One of the Niema I was traveling with said. It was one of the lieutenants. There was ten of us. One guide, six privates, two lieutenants from the other squads, and one captain. Among the group, only two of us had names, myself included. The other Niema with the name was the captain in charge of our voyage, Captain Rizoan. If we don't rest, this heat could kill one of us, our guide said. Is it normally this hot near the capital? One of the privates asked. No, this is strange, especially for this time of year, the guide replied. Lady Suma, how are you holding up? One of the privates asked. I was the only healer in the travel group, so everyone was going at my pace. I am well, though quite warm, I said. 
We were currently in a small stream, drinking and cooling off. One of the privates used magic to create a shade by molding the ground into a small shelter. Then we will rest a bit longer before continuing our journey, the guide said. We were all sitting in the water. It was moving, but unfortunately it was warmer than I would have liked. If everyone is okay with it, traveling at night would be easier. Is it safe to fly in this area at night? Captain Rosoen asked. In this area, yes. There are no native species here that can fly, and the dangerous ones wouldn't be active in the heat, the guide replied. Then we shall travel at night, the captain turned to the rest of us. Everyone get some rest. We'll be traveling tonight, so sleep while you have the chance. With that, I settled deeper into the stream and let the waters cool off my feathers. I took a moment to look out at the scenery. I'd never been this far east before, and so this entire area was new to me. It was a desolate wasteland of sand and rocks. In the entire previous day of our journey, I had not seen a single plant or animal. When I asked what this place was called, the guide told me that it was known as the Evil Sands. I watched the desert for a while. The heat made the sand shimmer and distort the area, and occasionally the winds would sweep through to cause the small dust storms. But that was the extent of it. The stream itself was fairly nice, but so much that I could have fallen asleep in it. All that, I went and rested under the shelter. Once everyone was inside, the entrance was sealed shut, and we all went to sleep. Hours later, we were awoken by the guide, who said the night had fallen. We all got up, ate, and took to the skies again. The moon was out, but it was not full tonight, so we simply kept in tight formation and made due with the little light it produced, and the glimmer of our besmears. At night, the heat was not as an issue, but the cold was quickly becoming one. Why did the weather change so drastically? I asked the guide. That's normal for this area, but the cold is usually worse this time of year. We seem to be having a heat wave. Be glad for that. We wouldn't be able to travel at night if the temperature were normal. How cold does it normally get here? One of the privates asked. Cold enough to kill in the winter, and hot enough to turn sand into glass in the summer. This area is very dangerous. There is no vegetation to hide under or perch on, and the only way to keep warm because of it is to use fire magic all night. The heat is the reason that we must travel at night, and that same heat is the only reason the cold is not killing us, I thought. Is that why there are no animals here? Another private asked. There are a few species in the area. They are nocturnal in the summer, but not in the winter, the guide said. I have not seen any vegetation since entering the desert. What do they eat? I asked. Each other. What a happy conversation this turned into, one of the lieutenants said. The night passed, and we did not stop for the rest of the journey. The sun started to rise just in time for us to see the capital of Ambos peek over the horizon. There it is, everyone. Not much longer now. Haggard announced. When he was said that, I remembered something important. The capital city does not have the set name. It changes with the current ruler's name. Traditionally, it would be his name first, followed by the country's name. But there have been instances in which the country's name came first. What is his majesty's, that is, the king's name? I asked. Queen, actually. King Ompert died last year. His daughter inherited the crown. Her name is Ompera, and the capital's name has been placed before her name... At her request, Captain Rizoan explained. Amboss Ampera, I thought. How large is the capital? You mentioned that you are from Zakashem, right, Lady Schumer? It's about twice the size of that city in terms of occupied land, and it has at least three times the population, the captain said. Is Zakashem a large city? I've never been, one of the privates wondered. It is. We even have a grand sanctum, I told him. All right, everyone, prepare to land and summon your documentation. 
We need to register our arrival. The guide said and started flying towards a large dome-like building outside the walls of the city. Follow me. He dived down and we all followed suit. The dome's top had several holes built into it and we entered through one, landing on the ground. I noticed we were surrounded by several other Niema, some of which were mounted on very large familiars. State your business, one of the Niemas said. We are here to enter Ambos Ampera. We have our documentation here. We all summoned our individual permits and notices. Several of the Niema glanced at one another and then flew off to their familiar saddles to land in front of us. They each began examining our documents and confirming the different seals that marked them. The capital is not like any other city in Ambos. Not even nobles are allowed to enter it without permission. Only permanent residents are allowed to enter and exit with relative ease. The capital is the cultural, religious, and political center of Ambos, so its security is taken quite seriously. Your documents are in order. You may proceed, one of the Niemas said, and flew back to his familiar saddle. The guide bowed, and we all left. Who are they? One of the privates asked. Guards, another of the privates replied. Obviously, but were the city guards or something else? Neither. We will still need to present our documents to the city guards once we arrive at the walls, the guide said. But then, those were royal court majors, the captain said. They simply determined whether you are a threat to the royals. If they had decided that we posed a threat to her majesty, they would have killed us. Then and there. Well then, why do we still need to report to the city guards if we've already been cleared? I wondered. Their job is to not worry about the dangers we may pose in the city, only the royal family. As far as they are concerned, we could burn down all of Ambos on Pera. They would not even beat their wings to put out the flames. However... If they suspect that we are a threat to the Queen, we will die horrible deaths. The rest of the journey after that was uncomfortably quiet. I suspect the lingering threat of being killed weighed on everyone's minds after the captain's revelation. We arrived at the city without incident. I took in the sights of the city. From the top of the walls, I could see thousands of Niema below, all going about their business. The ground was filled with different types of structures. Some Niema flew through wooden buildings that greatly resembled the market district of Zak Hashem. Most of the buildings were in uniform in size and shape, with little variation. Predominantly large rectangular structures with a hole on one side. Other buildings seemed to have same essential layout, but were just made of twisted vines rather than stone. I also noticed that no one was flying higher than the walls of the city, and was later informed by the city guards that it was a crime to do so. The lieutenants led the privates to their respective responsibilities, while Captain Rizzoan and I made our way to Her Majesty's castle. It was easy to see from the air. It was the tallest building by far. It looked like a tree made of interwoven stones and vines. The top bottom of the castle was even reinforced with metal beams that warped around its base like a web. It was an impressive sight, and so I decided to summon Jake and show him. Jake, I've arrived at the capital. It is a very strange place. Do you want to see it? I asked Jake over our private connection. There was no response. Upon realizing that he was likely asleep, I started praying to the dragons that their royals or royal court did not want to see him yet. End of chapter. Chapter 27. Suma's point of view. The captain and I arrived at the tree-like castle. Once we were closer, I was able to see the beams that wrapped around the castle's base in greater detail. In reality, they were cages built around the only entrance, acting as a simple barrier to block large familiars from getting through. Inscribed on them were various runes, 
Most likely, their function would be to make a cage-like structure painful, or even deadly to come into contact with. But we were too far to tell. We landed on the dirt just outside the cage structure, and several Niema wearing red lace clips flew down from their perches on the sides of the castle. They are the city guards, show them respect, answer their questions clearly and do not anger them, Captain Rosowen told me. The guards landed in front of us and immediately summoned their familiars. Under them appeared two hound-like beasts with long tusks. The beasties' bodies were long and slender. One had a dark grey fur and the other's was brown. They were very intimidating creatures. They both stared at us, their gazes never leaving our bodies for even a moment. State your reason for business, the Niemma on the brown one demanded. I am Captain Rosowin, and this is Private Suma. Our presence was requested by Her Majesty's Royal Court. Present your documents, the guard and the grey beast ordered. The captain and I summoned our documentation and presented them to the guards, who reviewed them for several minutes. You may enter, but while inside, you will cast no spells, rites, or rituals, unless ordered to by the royal court. You will not summon any familiars without proper authorization, while inside, you will be escorted by members of royal majors. You will not attempt to leave their presence, nor will you go anywhere without their approval. Failure to follow these instructions may have fatal consequences. Do you understand? We do, the captain acknowledged. After hearing his instructions, I felt myself growing increasingly more nervous. Wait here for an escort, they said, and then flew back to their perches. Their familiar stayed behind and continued to watch us until our escort arrived. A reddish-brown Niima with a royal major's insignia on each of her wings, made of golden lace, landed. She told us to follow her. The cage's runes began to glow, and then we watched as the opening to the entrance twisted and reshipped itself, until it was wide enough for us to fly through. The inside of the castle was impressive, a fortress taller than a citadel in my home city, and as wide as the base I've spent the last few months training in. But if the outside was a fortress, then the inside was a palace. The walls were still made of molded stone and vines, but interwoven with them were gemstones, as well as precious metals like silver and gold. Even the vines themselves were more ornate, having been dyed a variety of bright colors, mostly whites, purples, and reds. It was beautiful. We flew through the hallways of the castle and landed outside of the entrance. The court mage began to explain what would happen. The royal court is convening inside at this moment. For some reason, Her Majesty has decided to preside over today's hearing. He will not address the Queen Ampera unless she does so first. Understood? Yes. Yes. Excellent. You have a moment before they request you. I suggest that you use that time to calm yourself or go over any information you wish to present to them. We know what we're going to say, but thank you for the advice, the captain said. The mage nodded and turned her attention to the room before us. Private Suba, you need to calm down. Is it obvious? I asked nervously. Yes. I will try to remain composed. You know, I was in your place once, Captain Rizowen said. You were once questioned because your familiar is one of the only beings alive capable of utilizing the most dangerous magic our world has ever seen. 
Do not make jokes once we are being questioned. Yes, sir. What I mean is, I was once questioned by the royal court as well. About what, sir? It does not matter. What does matter is how I got through it. He took a deep breath. I stared at a single point, no matter what was said, or who was talking. All I did was stare at a single fixed point. Did that work? No, they thought I was crazy. I do not see how that... What I am trying to say is, just treat it like a conversation between yourself and your squad captain. Do not overthink it, because that is when you will go wrong. They're ready for you, the mage said. I, uh, thank you, sir, I said. His advice did not make me feel any better, but it did take my mind off the situation for a moment. We followed the mage into the room and saw dozens of Niema, all perched in a crescent moon shape, focused on a single point. That point is where we landed. We were perched on two golden bars wrapped in vines, whereas the royal court were perched on sloped manor, allowing me to see all of them. To the right of the moon, being guarded by six mages and their familiars, all of which were as strong or as stronger than the drakes and black serpents, was an ornately decorated Niamma. She looked to be about my age, maybe a bit younger, and her eyes were transfixed on me. Ah, you, Private Suma, from Court Thekoma, Isabel's domain, master of the familiar called Sentinel, one of the members of the court. A male Niamma with golden brooch on his chest asked. I am. And have you been informed of the reason why you are brought here? Do you wish to inquire about my familiar and the nature of his magic? That is correct. However, those are not the only reasons for your appearance before us today. The court member looked around the room for a moment. You have not summoned him yet? I... I was told not to do so without express permission by the court, I said. Captain Rizzoan was perched quietly by my side, but he was constantly looking back and forth between myself and the court member who was talking. The court member turned to the queen. With your permission, Queen Ompera, the young queen gave a small nod. Private Suba, you may summon your familiar called Sentinel. The mages around the queen all looked tense, their feathers puffed up, and their familiars started to show fangs, if they had them, that is. I flew to the ground and started the summoning. A magic circle formed on the ground below me. I summon you, Sentinel! End of chapter. Part 28. Suma's point of view. As the magic circle faded, Jake slowly appeared. He was laying on the ground and breathing very heavily. Due to our connection, Jake has the ability to sense my desires, and sometimes even my emotions. But that is normally a one-way ability. However, there has been a few exceptions during extreme circumstances. Despite that, I've grown rather skilled in my ability to decipher how he is feeling. I could not tell why, but Jake was clearly distressed. He looked around the room and summoned his armor and one of his weapons, then once called Mori and Igus. Suma, what's going on? he asked. His voice was ragged, and his breathing had not yet slowed down. Private Suma, get control of your familiar this instant, or we will use lethal force, one of the guards surrounding the Queen demanded. Their familiars had already encircled Her Majesty, and were in threatening postures. Jake, calm down. This is the capital, and these are the members of the Royal Court. It is time for our meeting with them. Do you remember? I said, trying to calm him down. 
Private Suma, one of the guards yelled. Jake looked around for a moment and then lowered his weapons. In a flash of light, they disappeared from his hands, as did the armor from his body. Uh, so sorry, I I I'm sorry, Jake said. He seemed shaken, the same way he did the day the Virum attacked him. The royal majors around the queen settled their familiars, but they all kept careful watch over Jake for the rest of the meeting. The room was tense, but the questioning from the council of the royal court continued. We were informed that your familiar was capable of speech. It seems this was true, Private Suma. We take it that this is the familiar known as Sentinel, the one capable of chaos magic. He is. I am, Jake said. He had not yet looked directly at the council, only glanced towards, but I had not yet turned and faced them completely after walking to my side. Sentinel, this court has several questions for you, some of which are regarding your unique magical attribute. While answering these questions, you will be truthful, not withholding any necessary information, and you will not cast any more spells without direct permission. Do you understand? The court member asked. I do, Jake said, now sounding calmer, but I could still tell that he was distressed. With the court's permission, I would like to take a moment to speak with my familiar, I asked. For what purpose? When he arrived, he was clearly distressed. I wished to make sure that he was ready to answer the court's questions. One by one, the members of the royal court's eyes began to glow faintly. They agreed, you have three minutes, the court members said. I thanked the court, and Jake and I were escorted out of the room and into the corridor. With us came Captain Rizoan. Private Zuma, what happened in there? Why did your familiar react like that? The captain asked. Jake, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Then explain your actions, the captain demanded. I re overreacted. I I'm sorry. Jake, I apologize for not alerting you before I summoned you. I did try, but I could not get into contact with you. No, it's fine. I was asleep. I was, uh, seeing one of Zachariah's memories. When Jake said that, he seemed to be in pain, or extremely uneasy at the least. Was it important? I asked. No, maybe I don't. Jake was cut off by the captain. I do not understand what the two of you are talking about, and do not care to. But what do I care about is this. Now are you able to control yourself in the court's questions? Yes. Jake, I'll be fine. Jake still looked unnerved, but I accepted it for the time being, and we re-entered the courtroom. We took our places once more, and Jake continued to stand next to me. Are you ready to begin the questions? The court member asked. We are, I said. Sentinel, explain to us where you are from. I'm from a country called England. My planet is called Earth. I was born and raised in the city of Manchester. How long have you been the familiar Private Suma? Approximately two years. Although we met years before that, Jake spent several minutes explaining the original circumstances of our meeting, making sure to leave out my inability or unwillingness to cast any sort of mental domination rite or ritual on him. It seems the two of you have quite the unusual history. Moving on to your abilities, we request that you demonstrate your magical attributes, specifically your death magic. Bring out the test subject, the court member said, and a large piece of icky fruit was brought in. When he said that, I immediately felt cold, and my stomach turned. I'm sorry, my deepest apologies to the royal court, but I will not now, nor will I ever, use my death magic, Jake denied. And why not? The court member asked, sounding both surprised and annoyed. Because I've seen what it can do, and I never want to see it again. We must also deny your request, one of the Queen's royal mages announced. It would mean far too great a risk for Her Majesty's safety. Ah, yes, I suppose that well-being of the Queen Ampera is something the court failed to consider. 
How deepest apologies, your highness. The queen nodded once, but did not speak. Sentinel, our records indicate that your specific attribute is a rare inversion, correct? Yes. Then, with the queen's permission, we would like you to demonstrate that, and we would hold the discussion of your death magic for a later date. We are still uncomfortable with... The guards around the queen tried to protest once again, but they were stopped. Hold. The queen, for the first time, spoke. I, too, wish to see the civility. I grant you my permission. The guard who protested looked annoyed, but kept silent. Sentinel, please demonstrate to us your inversion abilities, the court member asked. May I ask how, Jake said, in a manner that poses no threat to the court or the queen. I'm afraid my experience with my tribute is lacking, Jake said, trying to sound formal. He was answering the court's questions the same way he spoke to the Major, or any other of our commanding officers. While I've used it in the past, I've never taken the time to experiment with all of its potential options. You have not mastered your own attribute, the court member sounded confused. I could understand why. To any normal mage, the mastery of your attribute was the most basic step in learning magic. Jake, however, had not taken the standard path when cultivating his abilities. Sentinel's inversion abilities seem to take effect on other spells, rites, and rituals. Not necessarily his own, I interjected. I could summon, Jake started to say. But the royal mages did not let him finish. No, one of them said. I could invert a spell one of you cast, he said hesitantly. The royal mages looked at one another and spoke quietly amongst themselves. Agreed. The one that denied Jake earlier, a few glue closer. If I cast a spell that produces flame, what will happen to it? In the past, rather than a flame being hot, it'll be cold. It'll still look like a flame, though, Jake said. The mage nodded and produced a flame. Jake then shrouded the flame by himself in a small cloud of manner and kept it there. Throw it at me, Jake said, surprising the mage. After a moment, the mage nodded and launched the flame at Jake. Jake flinched but did not move, and the fire impacted his body. Once the spell dispersed, everyone saw that Jake was unharmed. Jake crossed his arms and shivered. Then a cloud of manner around him dissipated as well. Impressive, the mage said. When I looked back at the royal court, I saw that all their eyes were once again glowing. After the glow disappeared, the court member said, Private Suma Sentinel, this court wishes to offer you a position working for the royal court. May my familiar and I have a moment to talk about your offer? I quickly asked. This court will issue your recess for a period of one day. We will reconvene tomorrow at noon. We await your decision. With that, we were escorted out of the courtroom and out to the castle itself as well. Oh, uh, that's not good, Captain Rizoan said. I know, they give me the creeps, Jake said. You cannot accept their offer, Captain said. I agree, Jake. I think you did the right thing denying their request for dead demonstration of death magic. After what happened with that noble, uh, I do not blame you for never wanting to use it again. When I said that, the pain returned to Jake's expression. Zuma, I need to tell you about the memory I saw. This is starting to feel like a conversation I do not want any part of. I will give you two some privacy, the captain said, and flew away. After he did, Jake spent the next few minutes explaining the horrors he experienced in Zachariah's memory. End of chapter. With this chapter, we are caught up with current, and we'll wait for about 20 more chapters to go before we come back to it. So, look forward to that. I would quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and Patreons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Lord Azrakal, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Dragzoon WRE, Holly's Sister, Arcadian. Thank you very much.